Welcome everybody to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 218. So this is going to be a panel discussion, as you have probably already heard and are excited to hear between myself. Well, I'm not really taking too much, as you'll hear. But Dave Rubin, Dave Smith, and Eric Brakey. Now, this is a challenging one for me because I'm used to talking and my first time moderating three other luminaries in the movement and trying not to take too much uh, <laughs> the time up, not to jump in and get into the fray was difficult. God, it was difficult. Now, you could have watched along live and seen me struggle on video in our private Facebook group, which you join by going to patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty for as little as $5 a month. Uh, so join us now. All the bonus content will be yours for the taking. And also, guys, I will uh, put in the show notes at lionsofliberty.com slash episodes slash ELL218, the former debate between Dave Smith and Eric Brakey, so you can see that uh, that whole thing play out, should you be so interested, as well as my last interview with Dave Rubin talking about pill popping. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. All right, we are live, gentlemen. So, I have, I have a, a very rare opportunity. It was a, a lot of twists and turns to this show, but on this electric Liberty land, I am pleased to welcome in two people that I have, uh, I've spoken with before one. I have not, but I have, has become infamous from his appearance with Dave Smith on this very podcast. I'll bring him in in order. First, Eric Brakey, former Senator, uh, state Senator from Maine. Welcome back to the Lions Liberty podcast and the first electric Liberty land as a guest. Glad to be on with you, Brian. Fantastic. I will welcome back Dave Smith, of course, part of the problem host. He is uh, more than familiar with most of our audience, both sexually and intellectually. Dave. Hello. Happy 95th birthday, Murray Rothbard. <laughs> there we go. And wrapping out this uh, panel is Dave Rubin of the Rubin Report, who was back uh, pretty quickly. I just had Dave on talking about uh, pill popping and uh, white pill, black pill, red pill, blue pill. But he's back now to give his take on a previous discussion. So, Dave, welcome back to Electric Liberty Land. Good to be with you guys. And as long as we're giving birthday shout outs, happy birthday to Nazi sympathizer, Dr. Seuss. It's his birthday today. And that's <laughs> you guys know we've got to get rid of all of his books because he hated. Yeah. First people. they came for Alex Jones and they came for <laughs> Dr. Seuss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they canceled. They said they're no longer publishing six of his books. It's almost uh, what a genius ploy this would be, though, by the Seuss publishing group. You know, whoever has the rights, they're like, we're going to start canceling all of his books. And then their sales skyrocket as people <laughs> desperately try. Like the potato head people have been buying up all the potato. Heads. What was the uh, what was the there was one bookstore that uh, wouldn't sell. I believe this is true. Wouldn't sell uh, Jordan Peterson's 12 rules book, but they were still selling Mein Kampf. <laughs> yeah, that that happened in uh, in New Zealand, I think. Yeah, because yeah. oh, twelve rules. People telling young men to clean the room is really dangerous. But Mein Kampf, I mean, that's history, you know. Yeah. 
Well, getting into it. So this was based on, you know, I had Dave Rubin on and I told him about the conversation that Dave Smith and Eric Brakey had on uh, the debate, essentially, that became more of a a friendly discussion, but about which way the libertarian uh, minded should go, whether that future lies with the libertarian party, which is what Dave Smith took as his position, or we should go and try to uh, reshape, take over the GOP, as was Eric Brakey's position. So because Dave's coming in cold here, can you guys go through, give me just a brief rundown of your positions and why you think this is the way forward? We'll start with Eric Brakey first. Yeah, certainly. Well, um, first of all, of course, uh, just want to say thanks. Thank you for to all of you. It's good to see you all. Glad to be on. Um, I, I think it's worth prefacing that this uh, conversation is not really going to be a debate so much about ideology, because I think we're, mo- for the most part, we're here, we share some common principles. And it's really a debate on what is the best and most effective strategy to bring those principles into reality um, in, our, in our political lives. Um, and for me, as someone who has served, uh, you know, been a Republican my entire life, have been very frustrated with the Republican Party for much of my life, but also seeing how we can effectively use that party as a vehicle to promote liberty. I argue that, you know, nine times out of 10, the Republican Party is going to be the most effective vehicle for us to advance the cause of liberty. So let me um, let me start by just saying, you know, I think that we, we need to define what a political party is, uh, because a political party at the end of the day is not an ideology. Uh, there is, you know, to say that the Republican Party believes in, you know, one thing or another, or the, the Democrat Party believes in one thing or another, it's just not actually true. It's made up of individuals who believe things. And what a party accomplishes depends on who's in the driver's seat. Now, the Republican Party in the past, in my lifetime, has been a vehicle for tremendous damage to liberty when the neoconservatives and George W. Bush and all these folks, the Cheneys of the world, were running the show. It was an instrument of uh, promoting war and violence and destruction of our civil liberties, the destruction of our Constitution. But we've also seen individuals within that party who've been able to speak to what the party can be. Uh, And that is uh, an instrument for liberty. We saw Ron Paul and his two campaigns for president who ignited a, uh, a, you know, a a fire in the hearts of of, of so many Americans who are some of whom are here a part of this discussion today. And that's that's what the Republican Party can be. Uh, Ron Paul would never have been heard. He would have never had the opportunity if he'd run as a libertarian. In fact, he did run as a libertarian party candidate in in, uh, the, the 1980s. I think it was 88, the year I was born. And uh, he didn't he didn't get very far with it. He he he. But he he was able to serve in Congress. He was able to run a, 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 for president. He was able to reach millions of people with the message because uh, 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 he went through the Republican Party, which which has the infrastructure that is set up to win elections and to to reach millions of people. So um, as we're debating where we are as a movement right now. Uh, what's going to be the most effective vehicle for us going forward into this new post-Trump era uh, when uh, the neoconservative grip over the Republican Party is as weak as it has ever been, when it's not clear really, um, you know, who's going to emerge out of this new new kind of GOP civil war as kind of the the, uh, leading this party. I would argue that now is the moment for us to uh, make a play and and to uh, to to grow our influence within the Republican Party as a vehicle to advance liberty. And we are doing that. We're doing that through 
um, uh, just since 2018, we've had this new strategy of not just charging the, 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 the national capital, throwing people into federal races for Congress, for, for U.S. Senate and president, but by going after the state legislatures. When I served in the state Senate, I was able to accomplish a lot, passed constitutional carry, reformed welfare, expanded medical cannabis freedom, got right to try passed. I was just one Ron Paul influenced state legislator, and there were maybe 10 of us in the entire country. Since we have been taking liberty activists through Young Americans for Liberty, mobilizing them through Operation Win at the Door, recruiting Ron Paul-style candidates for the legislature, knocking doors uh, and getting getting them elected. We have now 179 uh, Ron Paul-style Liberty legislators elected in 37 state capitals across the country. This strategy is succeeding like we've never seen before, and I think that we need to keep pushing forward with it. All right. Dave Smith, what's up with the Libertarian Party? What's what's bringing to the table here? All right. Well, l- let me just start by pointing out that Eric uh, used the analogy of charging the capital unironically in that uh, in that opening. So I feel like he should lose at least a couple points politically uh, for that. Yeah. Th- oh, there you go. Politically. Okay. Let's just it, it invokes for, for, other images for, for John Brennan and Nancy Pelosi listening. <laughs> and this is a political storming of the capital through the election process. It's all right. All right. Fair list. enough. Uh, if we hear a knock at your door midway through the podcast, we know what's happened. <laughs> well, of you. All right. Well, I guess I could just uh, I'll just maybe spend my time uh, giving some boring libertarian platitudes and then asking Dave Rubin if he's going to vote for me. <laughs> I um, I think so. Look, obviously, I, I agree with Eric that this is, is more a question of strategy than than it is a question of ideology. But it's it's important to also understand the, the you know, the moment we live in if we want to have a, a, an effective strategy. And um, I, I suppose, <clears throat> l- look, let me say this. I just because I'm probably going to spend some of the time uh, on this show trashing Donald Trump and trashing the the state of the uh, the conservative movement. I don't. I'm really not for anyone who knows my stuff, and I imagine a lot of people listening do. But for those of you who don't, and and Eric knows very well, I am not somebody who could be described as uh, as suffering from Trump derangement syndrome. I'm really not that person. Uh, Donald Trump was framed for treason by uh, the the CIA and the FBI and the NSA and the corporate press and all of the insane Democrats and Republicans. He was absolutely. I mean, it, it was just. Um, the, the craziest thing that's ever happened, he was set up, he was lied to uh, by deep state spies about the troop levels when he was trying to pull people out. I mean, Donald Trump, and I will say I will always be eternally grateful to Donald Trump for destroying once and for all the Bush and Clinton crime families. And, and if for nothing else, he deserves our praise for that. I suppose where I really find a disconnect with what Eric was saying is um, the idea that this strategy is working. That we, And I'm not trying to discount any of these local victories. I mean, it's great. And I'm not discouraging anybody from, from doing that and, and pursuing that. If you can get gun rights expanded or, or you know cannabis or whatever else it is, great, more freedom. That's the goal, human liberty. Um, that being said, we, at the end of four years of Donald Trump, not only live under the biggest, most powerful government that has ever existed in human history, but we were literally locked in our homes by the government. To, to say that these the strategies that we're using are working and that liberty is increasing to me is so removed from the reality of the last year of American life. And to say that the Republican Party is some type of fertile ground for liberty-minded people, 
I mean, I think you had a much stronger case in 2014, 2015. Ron Paul won the CPAC straw poll, I believe, three times. Rand Paul won the CPAC presidential stra- uh, straw poll on the strength of being Ron Paul's kid, basically. Ron, uh, Rand Paul, the other day, took 2%, tied with Mike Pompeo, behind Nikki Haley. That is how much liberty is valued in the Republican Party right now. Uh, it's not much. Trump is valued. Uh, the sure look, they defeated the the neocon support to some degree. Um, but that's also because look, I mean, if you look at the 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 state of things right now, I think we have to be honest. We are losing very, very badly. This is true for libertarians. It's also true for conservatives. We are we are all losing. I mean, it's also true for progressives who actually care about issues of substance. I mean, if you care about banning, you know, Mr. Potato Head or something, then you're doing great. But if you actually care about like power imbalance or banker profits or wars or or you know mass incarceration, you're not doing very well. Um, but I, I would say this: the the libertarians are losing because the government is bigger than ever and, and human liberty is suffering. Conservatives are losing because they can't conserve anything. They don't even have a seat at the cultural table anymore. It's not even like the left is winning the cultural battle. The left is the culture. There's the it's all progressive. Every institution, every outlet, ev- at the government, the deep state, academia, the corporate press, a- a- at Hollywood, anything you could think of. Um, but the last time that the Republicans, you know, the last time in my life that conservatives, right-wingers actually had a seat at the table in the culture was after 9-11. They were debatably in control. I mean, not like the left is today. They didn't have the institutions. Um, Well, they had some. They had the deep state. They even had the corporate press to some degree. You had hacks in the New York Times selling George W. Bush's war. And this is the problem. The last time the right wing had a say, they blew it on George W. Bush, not even Ronald Reagan's kid. They blew it on George H.W. Bush's kid and not even George H.W. Bush's smart kid, his idiot kid who lied the American people into a war, got a a million Iraqis killed, uh, blew two trillion dollars. And this is why they've lost everything. They blew their credibility on George H. uh, George H.W. Bush's idiot kid. And um, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up here. But the the truth is that it's easy to be against the dominant culture. And and we should be because this dominant culture is a threat to all of us. And the state is a threat to all of us. But I actually think that trying to take over the Republican Party and make it an instrument for small government is Einstein's definition of insanity, trying the same thing over and over again. And um, it it has never worked. It's not going to work. It's designed not to work. What we can do is take all of the energy we have here, put it into a party that we can take over like that, and make it something that actually stands for something that can actually move the needle, the needle of the cultural conversation towards the issues that matter. And I think that that is a better strategy, uh, it, it, certainly on a national level going forward. So I'll just start with that. All right, Dave Rubin, your response. I, again, I'm curious to see where you fall, especially curious now, uh, considering you are debating a governor run. I believe you're banding that about. So I'm curious to see what your thoughts are and also where you're, uh, what you're going to identify as should you decide to run. Yeah. Well, just for the record, you know, I had a couple of people on my show on Friday, including Rick Rennell and Adam Carolla on to discuss what's going on here in California. And Carolla said that he really will consider it. And I don't think he's totally bullshitting. I would much prefer Adam Carolla 
to do it than me. I mean, I, I think for all of us that kind of talk Take for a living, bullet. it's like we're, we're good at communicating ideas to people which help frame things so people can think about their lives in, in an interesting or effective way. The idea of like me waking up at four in the morning, they're like, you know, the nuclear power plants melting down. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I, I like to do a little cardio before I get going during the day. Um, so first off, let me say, you know, I obviously I agree with the premise that you both started with, which is that this is about strategy, not about ideas. I'm sure we have little differences of opinions on on this or that, maybe related to immigration or even some stuff on taxes or whatever. I, I think that's sort of a separate issue here. This is about strategy, like how do you how do you increase liberty in this country in a time, as Dave just said, that it, it's on short order and and getting shorter by the second. Um, so I agree with a couple of things you both said, and, and I disagree with a couple of things. So. First off, you know, I'm, I'm kind of used to this split. I'm very comfortable in this position because, you know, five years ago or six years ago, I was a Bernie supporting lefty. And, you know, the thing that kind of put me on the map was as I woke up to wokeism, in effect, and as I woke up to identity politics and all of the shit that we now know has been the cultural rot of our society that has has decimated everything that five years ago we took for granted. I was one of the first people that was like, hey, liberals, we're not acting liberal anymore. So I'm used to this sort of internal debate of, oh, we have we have a sort of our team and what's the strategy? And I kept saying to the liberals, hey, we better we better control this crazy thing. Uh, and unfortunately, I think the liberals have have just completely folded. But but that's for a separate thing. I would say in, in the strategy part of this. I actually think you can make a, a good argument either way. I would say on the Trump side of it, look, Trump did lower taxes. He did increase spending. He got us out of wars or at least didn't get us into new wars and was always trying to end wars. And as you said, Dave, you know, the generals were lying to him. He had to fight that monster. His whole the whole premise of Trump was based on deep state and and, you know, let's stop the machine from just endlessly sucking all the time. Uh, but did he act perfectly as a libertarian? No. Is he a libertarian in his heart? I think at some level, like he likes competition. He likes the, he likes the idea of ideas that like cool new things can happen. And he likes ratings and excitement and popularity. Like he likes markets. These are all like libertarian good things, but by no stretch was he like this, this incredible libertarian. But, and this is, this is the butt part. He might be as close as we're going to get in in sort of our time, because the machine that we're all worried about, right, the machine that we're all trying to keep off our backs and out of our wallets and out of our lives and out of our bedrooms, that thing doesn't seem to move that much, right? And that and and the the institutions that you're talking about, they are crumbling. So while it feels like, oh man, anyone right leaning has sort of no cultural power, no institutional power, and everything else. It's like, you know what? The colleges are all crapping out right now. Like you'd, you'd have to be sort of brain dead at this point to send your kid to $70,000 a year Harvard. And Harvard is openly discriminating against Asian people. They're, they're actually the ones instituting systemic racism. So the, the cultural collapse and the educational collapse and all that stuff, that's happening, which gives, I think, guys like us and people that believe in freedom an opportunity to build these things. That's why I'm always tweeting every day. And it's what I've tried to do by starting a tech company. It's like, we have a great opportunity right now to build. So to, to wrap this all up, I would say the, the strategy part of this, my inclination is that the Republicans sort of, like, I don't consider myself a Republican. I'm obviously not a Democrat anymore, but I don't consider myself a Republican. 
you know, I'm definitely on the right. I would say that there's a pretty wide tent on the right right now. So you could have, say, your religious conservatives, right? And that's okay. And then I would say I'm, I'm like sort of on the libertarian side of conservative. That's a pretty wide tent if we can agree to that America or freedom or the Constitution is basically good. So it's pretty much everyone versus the wokesters. As for the specific question here, I would say just this is just the real politic part of me, which is you. there is a chance to really do some stuff with the Republicans right now. There really is a chance because I, I went to a lot of Trump rallies. I talked to a lot of Trump people. People just want to live free right now. They really just want to live free. Everyone knows the lockdowns were insane. Texas is opening up as we speak right this second. They're ending it right this very moment. Like I'm here in, in California, Newsom, it's, it's an abject disaster. And when I meet people, people that are apolitical, that don't consider themselves Democrats, Republicans, probably didn't even know who the vice president was five years ago, they're suddenly talking about freedom. So just the realist part of me is just going, hey, we can really move the Republicans right now. It doesn't mean that the party's good. I, I want nothing to do with Mitch McConnell or any of those things. But I think there's a chance there. But I'll just say one last thing, which is that, yes, is the is the Libertarian Party like the thing that exists that's on the ballots? Is that rife for a takeover? And would I love to see either of the three of you on that ballot? Of course. And and is that a worthy um, is that a worthy explanation uh, exploration? Of course it is. And I think probably the best way you go about doing this, if, if any of our ideas are to survive, is you probably got to do both. Right. Like, Dave, you're supposed to go off and lead that libertarian party. And Eric, you're supposed to work it from the inside. And, and you know, we can all talk about how that works. But I think you have to fight at many levels is, is my short answer. That doesn't, it wasn't so short. Well, that's, that's all right. And, and, you know, there's something, there's a couple of things you said there that I wanted to kind of jump off on to continue the conversation. One is we're talking about cultural influence. You know, obviously we know, as Dave mentioned, uh, Dave Smith mentioned, the left owns Hollywood. They own our academia. They own a lot of our, uh, our media institutions. Which side is better equipped moving forward to fight the cultural war? Because when we look at things, you know, you look at the GOP, and yes, I agree that they're they're open. There's people that are sick of, of what they're dealing with. But I wonder if that well is so poisoned to so much of the population that trying to fight from that point of view is just going to fall on deaf ears and basically result in nothing. Whereas maybe from a libertarian perspective, because it's basically been silent for so long or ignored, there might be a little bit more uh, ability for people on a broader spectrum to listen to that cultural messaging. Real quick, I want to take a break to tell you about some messaging, and that is messaging from one of our sponsors, Zipix Toothpicks, nicotine-infused toothpicks. I have been raving about these for quite some time. Actually, I was just at a bar on Saturday night. Yes, I was inside. No, I didn't have a mask on. And there's people smoking. I'm shooting pool with a buddy of mine. And we pull out these toothpicks. And I tell you, as always, they are a hit. We were talking to some gentlemen, uh, baseball coaches, and uh, hello, Sean, if you're listening out there. Uh, I think he's listening to the podcast right now after meeting me. But, you know, it's amazing when you see people gravitate towards these because they taste good, they got the hand-to-mouth feel, and you get that little buzz as if you would be smoking a cigarette, but without all of the taste, the flavor, the stink of it. You know, you can do it in public. You're not going to be judged by people. 
no one's the wiser. But not only that, I've been telling you about the B12 caffeine-infused toothpicks, which are absolutely dynamite. They make my hangovers a million times better, and I think they will help you as well. So check those out. Use promo code LION at checkout for 10% off your order, guys. Zippix, Z-I-P-P-I-X, toothpicks.com. All right, let's get back into it. Um, well, I, I would say that um, the, the you have to examine the reason why the Republicans lose the culture war constantly and why they've been losing and losing and losing. And if, if you don't think about this, you know, then you're just going to keep applying the same strategy and keep losing more and more ground. And I, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I don't completely disagree with Dave. I mean, I do think that the system is, is falling apart and a lot of institutions are spinning out of control. But I would say that what the, that the libertarian understanding of the culture war has to do with many of the issues that the Republican base, although they've rejected the neocon foreign policy in many ways, ha- they have completely given up on any semblance of caring about big government. That is just not an issue that Republican voters care about at all. Donald Trump uh, and and uh, the Republicans had Congress. They had the executive branch. They uh, they increased spending from Obama's levels. We couldn't even get them to hold spending at Barack Hussein Obama levels of spending. That is a, is a sign, a, a clear sign that they just don't care about this. And in fact, over at CPAC, they were basically all bragging that they wanted to give out bigger checks than the Democrats wanted to give out. I mean, that's the world we've entered into now. And as the Republicans are trying to outcompete the Democrats in being big spenders. And the issue, uh, how this is related to the culture war, is that this is really the central source of it. And there's many sources, but this is the central one, is that government has gotten so big, so out of control, and just enormous and um, uh, so consequential that we have to fight a culture war every four years over who gets to control it. Because the truth is we have many different cultures in America, but we have two very distinct ones, the left and the right. And there is no amount of social engineering that is going to make rural Alabama have the same culture as downtown Brooklyn. Okay. But one side is going to win and rule over the other side every four years. And this is what motivated so many people to vote for uh, Donald Trump. And this is what motivated so many people to vote for Joe Biden, that they don't want to be ruled over by the other guy. And the only answer to somehow call a truce in this culture war and somehow lower tensions because really no one's going to win short of a bloody civil war. No one is going to dominate the other side. Um, the, the only answer is to decentralize, reduce the size and scope of government. And this is an issue that Republicans have clearly no appetite to even pretend to take on as they once did. I, I can give you a little bit of uh, silver lining, which is that as I as I started Locals.com, which is my my tech company, I've been fundraising, obviously. you just It's just part of it. You have to do it. And I've been spending a lot of time in Miami because that's where all the refugees from Silicon Valley who created so much, so much of this mess, right? They created all the, all the tech companies that became these giant behemoths that censor everybody and the rest of it. Then they realized when they looked at their capital gains tax, because they're always voting for Democrats, not, again, not that the Republicans are so great. Now they're all fleeing big, you know, the homelessness and the drug use and just San Francisco is just utterly collapsed. Well, they've all moved to Miami and they're all moving to Florida, right? And why are they moving there? They're moving there because there's lower taxes. It's much better for business, obviously. The weather ain't bad, you know, all that stuff. What I can tell you is this, and I had a, a bunch of dinners with like pretty pretty up there people in, in that world that does 
create so much of the culture, or at least it's not Hollywood creating in that way, but it's it's the piece that allows us to see what is culturally relevant, that sort of thing. A lot of them who three years ago absolutely would have said they were liberals or absolutely would have said they're progressives, they look like they got hit in the face with a frying pan. Like they cannot believe that their life has been upended by the things that they voted in to the point that they had to move their families. And it's not just one person or two people. It's a ton of people. I'm sure you guys all know people that are getting the hell out of Cali, getting out of New York. So the silver lining, I think, is that, and, and this is the hope, is that the people that are fleeing these states that do have influence over the culture, but not only the culture, the institutions, meaning that they will build the next great tech, that they will build the things that will be decentralized so that we can free ourselves from Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and everything else, they are waking up. Now, can they make the full move and suddenly go, oh, yeah, I really am, in essence, a libertarian? And, and you know, and we can always whittle what that full definition is. I don't know that they can fully do that. But to get those people to say, OK, I'm going to start a new party, uh, that's tough. I don't know that you can get them to say that they're a Republican either or even that they would openly vote for a Republican. That's why this is so complex, because the PTSD that the left has done with people is just is just incredible. Like you, people, I mean, I'm literally at dinners with people who are like whispering at private houses about, you know, I, I'm, I'm for low taxes and states' rights as, as if it's a bad thing, but they just left San Francisco where if you say that, you know, they'll take you out and string you up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to, I want to get back to um, uh, uh, something that uh, Dave Smith said, which is about radical decentralization, uh, which um, I, you know, and, and, and uh, to Dave Rubin, I, I, I think it's uh, it's great. And I hope that this is a great awakening moment for a lot of people uh, because I know those of us who live in the States where the people are moving to are a little worried about all these folks moving from California <laughs> and what ideas they might be bringing with them. So they I ought to I, build a wall. <laughs> Florida. I was telling people to build a wall. I might move there just to be the guy that builds the wall. <laughs> <laughs> but, but to radical decentralization, I want to get to what Dave Smith was saying, which is um, for the most part, I absolutely agree that that is the only way out of this, this culture war where uh, you know, I think we kind of agree perhaps on the diagnosis. The diagnosis is that we are continually giving more and more power to Washington, D.C. And so we have this kind of Game of Thrones now where everyone just wants to claim the Iron Throne for themselves to dominate everyone else and to impose their 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 world and cultural view on others. So the only way out is decentralization, recognizing that Maine is different than California, different than Alabama. You know, every every you know, we're a collection of societies, not one big uh you know, blob of people, as Tom Woods would say. But if we agree that that's the only way out, how do we actually accomplish that? Now, I, we could kind of kind of wait around for the, you know, anarcho apocalypse to come and hope that it'll turn out in our in our in our favor. Or we need to wrestle with the system as it is right now, recognize that there are these institutions available to us where we can have an influence on policy to take power back from the federal level. Uh, and, and the state legislatures are right there for the taking in so many states, you know, and, and also to, to Dave's point, you know, his, his argument, uh, sorry, we got two Dave's to Dave Smith's point that, um, that the, that the GOP is, um, you know, out of reach. I would argue that while the libertarian party is certainly easier to take over than the, than the Republican party is because, you know, there aren't very many vested interests really guarding the Libertarian Party because it's not a threat to uh, anyone in, in political power these days. I would say the Republican Party is is a lot. Uh, it's not as far out of reach as, as as Dave Smith might think that it is. You know, when I was 23 years old, fresh out of college, 
It took me six months. I organized a couple thousand people and we took over our state GOP in the course of six months. If I could do that in, in, in the state of Maine, there's no reason that we can't take that model and, and, and do that across the country. Now, of course, the model of trying to take things over from the top down where we just run people for federal office and try to try to capture Washington, D.C., that doesn't work. It's a fortress. They, they, guard, they guard that fortress very hard. But, but we're a grassroots movement. We take things over from the bottom up, which is essentially what Dave is trying to do in the Libertarian Party. But I'm saying that if we applied that strategy to the Republican Party, half the battle is just showing up. Showing up for the for the local uh, GOP meetings, uh, but you you show up consistently. Before you know it, you're going to be running the thing, um, uh, and 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 just showing up and 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 running for these local offices. Half the time, people run for these local offices, and there's only one candidate on the ballot. You just need to throw your name on there. You need to raise a little bit of money. Go knock doors. We can take over the system from the bottom up, but it's not something you know. We're grassroots movement. It's not what, something one person can do alone. I think we yeah. have to get past the intrinsic unlikability most libertarians have built into them, though, if we're going to do a lot of this, you know, active, you know, getting involved in local level stuff. There's a lot of, uh, of hills to climb there. If you're a libertarian without the people skills, maybe you can support someone who's not the people <laughs> That's just, Of course you're libertarian without the people skills. You're talking to the, the only three of us that exist in the world right now in one <laughs> podcast, which hopefully you guys can hear me, by the way. Apparently my volume died out, but it wouldn't be a podcast if somebody's fine. audio didn't crap out. All right, great. Well, just to be clear, and I think I, I explained this the last time me and Eric spoke, um, but I, I'm not advocating that we should join the Libertarian Party because the Libertarian Party is going to assume political power and roll back the state. That is, that is not my argument. My argument is to join the Libertarian Party, to use it as a platform to insert the most important ideas into the conversation, to try to convince more people to become libertarians and try to persuade Democrat and Republican voters to be better than they are. That doesn't mean they have to be perfect libertarians, but they can be better for sure. And By the way, so, yeah, go ahead. No, sorry. Well, well, that the argument you're making is exactly the argument I was making in 2016 in the summer when there was that. Remember that very brief moment for a couple of weeks when people were talking about Gary Johnson and there was this slight chance that he yeah. could get into the debates. Right. And I had had him on the show and, you know, I'd hung out with him a little bit and he's a nice guy and I'd like to smoke pot with him and go skiing or whatever. But he was just a terrible candidate, although yeah. he was a he was a pretty good governor of New Mexico, but he was a terrible candidate. And, and he had, you know, like, if you want to turn me against pot, it's like the guy can't remember anything. It's like, <laughs> you're, you're going to do it. But, but what I did in, in that summer was I said, I'm going to support Gary Johnson. I don't think he's a great candidate. I think Trump will beat the hell out of him in debates. I think Hillary will out policy him, but at the very least, let's get this guy in one debate so that maybe he can say one thing that will wake up a little someone to libertarian ideas. And Dave, I think that's sort of what you're getting at, that we got to yeah. get these ideas out there more. And I just wonder if maybe maybe getting those ideas out there more is not the purview of politics, as crazy as that sounds. Maybe it's the yeah. purview of what we're all doing right now, you know? Well, yeah, but I don't think yeah. the purview of politics is really liberty. It's power, you know? And it's, it's yeah. everything yeah, that yeah. we're against. So that's that's kind of the dichotomy that you that, got. Absolutely. If you care about liberty yeah. and you want to be involved in the political uh, uh, system. That's so this is the power. essence. 
Well, this is the essence of what the Ron Paul campaign was about. It was never about assuming political power. Even Ron Paul being a congressman was never about assuming political power. It had nothing to do. The fact that he would have some hearing where he would just embarrass Ben Bernanke or something like that, that wasn't about actually changing Fed policy. It was about exposing him to the world. Him challenging Rudy Giuliani or something like that, it wasn't. It didn't end any wars, but it did let everyone see that the emperor had no clothes. And so that, I think, is is essentially what the goal is here. Now, what Eric said about being, you know, the Libertarian Party not being a legitimate threat to political power, um, you're he's right about that. But let me tell you something. We got to be strategic in this. Right now, you don't want to be a legitimate threat to political power. You know who's a legitimate threat to political power? Julian Assange. And that's where you'll end up if you're a legitimate threat to political power. Uh, th those people uh, who, who stormed the Capitol weren't even, but they could be used as, as, mm -hmm. as an example, and they're going to ruin those people's lives. People will be in jail for decades. They will treat you like the people in Waco if you are a legitimate threat to this power. There's too much power, and we need to finesse around it and wake as many people up as we can without trying to have a direct confrontation with the federal government. That's just not going to work out in your favor. So what do you guys say to the argument then that if you do this, so so Dave, let's say you're right and you start reconstituting like a, a somewhat or even semi-remotely functional libertarian party, which of course I think is a worthy goal, that ultimately you just, okay, so you get 5%, right? Like five freaking percent, you triple or whatever Jorgensen got, you know, you tri what, what did she get? Like 1% or something like that, right? Like uh, Yeah, a little over 1%. Okay, so you five times it, you five exit, thus ensuring that the progressives who are only getting more emboldened, only coming for everything we hold dear, only coming for all of the good stuff that America has ever been about, you just ensure that they remain in power basically forever. W what's your counter argument to that? Because I get that all the sure. time. And by the way, there were people like higher ups at the Libertarian Party that wanted me to run this last time around. And not that I would have done it anyway, but I was like, that's the thing that just would, for me is like, the idea that I would have helped usher in Joe with dementia or at that time, you know, it could yeah. have been Bernie or or Elizabeth Warren. It's like, no, no. I just sure, don't. sure. So I, I get that point completely. And just let me disclaim what I'm about to say by saying that I do think it makes sense to be strategic. And I made this point last time me and Eric spoke like I wouldn't if lockdowns were raging on, I would not uh, support primarying. DeSantis in in Florida, or I wouldn't support, but you know, primarying Rand Paul or Thomas Massey or or something like that. Like I think you do have to be strategic in when you do it. Um, but my, my counter to this would be like, well, well, two two things, right? So number one, just try to you know, let's all use a little imagination here and just imagine that Gary Johnson wasn't Gary Johnson and he was some really awesome libertarian candidate who was just great at explaining all of this stuff and couldn't be stumped because he knew more than Hillary Clinton and could expose Hillary Clinton so and could handle. Yes. Right. Like, let's say it was Harry Brown and could handle Donald Trump could handle like that, like someone who was actually built for that moment, how powerful that could have been. What a, what an opportunity there was there. What a force that person could have been. I mean, look, man, like ideas can change the world. Thomas Paine just wrote pamphlets, you know, like that you can do a lot of things by just really compelling people with some moving ideas. Now, in terms of the, uh, to the, the direct to your, your uh, point about getting Democrats elected, I mean, there, that is a real, you know, risk and, and a real reality of the situation. But I would say this. The idea that Joe Biden, you know, you, you specifically mentioned getting Joe Biden elected. Joe Biden ran for president twice before. 
He never cracked 1%. Yeah. He was a joke. He's an idiot. He's a bumbling fool. He, he's a plagiarizing, lying, just clown. The don't only forget the thing, sniffing of the hair. He likes to sniff yeah, young the, girl's hair. Don't yes, forget that. He is, it's not just that he loves to sniff children. It's that after it became a scandal that he was sniffing children, he still refused to stop <laughs> sniffing children. Like it's he's he's got some issues. He doesn't is want to be point. a flip-flopper, man. You, know, you gotta yeah. stick to your guns. No, I do. I admire the consistency, but <laughs> I'm just saying. So th there was no chance that that Joe Biden ever could have been elected president, except that Donald Trump, it, whether all his fault or not, ended in the most disastrous year in modern American history. Look, Barack Hussein Obama getting elected in the year 2000 or even 2004, age issues aside, would have been unthinkable. It's only because George W. Bush was such a failure that Barack Obama was able to get elected. My point is that Republicans have been doing a better job of getting Democrats elected and radical Democrats elected than libertarians ever have. So there, there is a threat of this either way. And, and the, the system we have now with the duopoly is that it's going to be, it's going to swing back and forth. So you're going to keep building up the power of the federal government and the Democrats are going to get their shot at it eventually. So so let me let me build on this because I think Dave makes some great points, but I, I, I think there's a there's a logical kind of next step in this is that yeah, this this is the cycle. The pendulum swings back and forth between the left party and the right party. And you know, the sweet spot for the Washington establishment is to basically control both parties. And so that people feel like things are changing when things aren't really changing. You know, Donald Trump, love him or hate him, and I certainly think there's a lot to, you know, be desired there, but he was for the first time something different uh, and kind of showed that like, we can have a real choice. Now, I want the next go around on this cycle because this next go around on the cycle to be the choice between, the choice is liberty. And, and we can do that. We're in the age of Joe Biden, in the age of Democrats controlling Washington, D.C., you know, we're going to see a natural backlash. At least hist history would tell us we're likely to see a natural Republican backlash against this in two years. Now, we can say that, well, this is a false choice. We should we should be able to pick between more than just these two things. But this is the way the system is built. And so if, if we can predict that this natural wave is coming, then we need to ask ourselves if we want to be in a position right now in this pivotal moment in American history to have an influence on the political decisions that are made. We need to ask ourselves, how do we position ourselves and our people in this movement to be the ones riding in on that wave? Yeah, but, and, the, but there's no there. You're saying that Donald Trump proves that we do have a legitimate choice. But I'm really looking at the facts on the ground and seeing the exact opposite. Donald Trump proved that the voters have no choice. Yeah. OK, they could choose Donald Trump. I mean, yeah, sure. There's a few prerequisites there, like being the most famous human being on Earth and being, you know, a billionaire and like all these other things. But so, yeah, Donald Trump looked at the American people and said, don't you want to get out of all of these wars? And they were like, hell yeah. Why, why the hell am I sending my kids to go die in the Middle East to remake their societies when our federal government can't even fix Baltimore? You know, like, yeah, we want to get out of these. But we're still in all of those wars because the American people don't really have a choice. Because as soon as Donald Trump got in there, what did they do? Well, they went through his cabinet and systematically removed anybody who was outside of the establishment. They came down on Flynn. They came down on Bannon. They got rid of all of them. They boxed him in with this Russia hoax bullshit so that he couldn't make any type of meaningful deal with Russia because that would have been proof that he's a Russian agent or whatever they were saying. Right. So they and that's just Donald Trump who they were able to control. Um, imagine somebody who was really a threat to the establishment. We we have no idea what they would do to them, but we could kind of guess based on well, Kennedy's career. 
But the irony is, I think in, in, it's very possible that at least within the next 20 years, we'll never see anyone close to a threat to the establishment as Donald Trump, right? Because now after everything that you just said, all the things that they did to destroy this guy, the spying on him, everything that happened the last couple of weeks, the way the media treated him. I, I mean, just look, has there literally been one negative story written about Joe Biden in these seven weeks? I mean, one story. Everyone knows that the president of the United States has dementia and nobody talks about it. That that seems like a problem to me. But but that is you're talking really about the calcification of the system, that the system is so corroded. And by the way, I think there's some arguments to be made that having it be so corroded is kind of good because we basically got it good here in America still, basically. You know what I mean? We're all still walking around pretty much doing what we want, although lockdowns have, have altered that pretty significantly. Um, but if if Trump, a guy like Trump could only get so far, then the, I, the guy that comes in that has the personality, has the money. So let's say this isn't the right example, but like if there was an Elon, Elon Musk guy, like a self-made millionaire, well, really billionaire who had all the right libertarian ideas, he's going to go through the system. And after the media is done with him and big tech's done with him and deep stays done with him, I do, I actually think the way the system is either, I, I don't know if it's a feature or a bug, but by but the way the system is at this point, I don't think anyone would yeah. be able to do much of a better job. No, yes. Yeah, did Trump right. make some mistakes yeah. on management and all that? Of course he did. And, and that's, the, you know, the thing that I always said about Trump was people really, especially the most MAGA people. And I, I didn't decide to support the guy until this past summer. So the, they they thought he was Jesus. They really thought that he could do anything. And the guy did a whole hell of a lot, but but he ain't Jesus. And I don't know that anyone yeah. could walk through that machine and come out on the other side even remotely unscathed. Yeah. Let, let, let me let me build on this because I, I think there's a I think the, the big realization of the Trump years is just realizing when all is said and done, how much little power the president actually has. We, 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 we pin all our hopes and dreams on the idea that we're going to elect the perfect person president. He's going to bring the troops home, even though on paper it says in the Constitution he, he's the one with the authority to bring the troops home. In actuality, the just the whole infrastructure and the whole political machine in Washington, D.C. is designed such that it is the unelected uh, whatever you want to call it, the bureaucratic state, the deep state, they're the ones making the big decisions. And the elected officials that we elect are really there to just give us a, a, a sense that we have some kind of say in what's happening there. It's kind of like in ancient Rome, you know, when, when Caesar took over, he didn't abolish the Senate. It was useful. He wanted the people to think that they had a say in the decisions that were made. Uh, but, but increasingly we're seeing, um, this, you know, s s the same thing. Uh, we elect people, they spend their time naming post offices while the big decisions are made by those we never get a chance to vote on. So uh, I certainly agree that, you know, having, pinning our hopes on this kind of this, this central figure that we're going to elect every, every, whenever we get a chance every four years to come in and change everything, that's not really going to work. But we're a grassroots movement. We need, we need to look at a, a decentralized strategy. And while they could take out one president, if we elect hundreds, thousands of liberty people to state legislatures across the country uh are they really going to do mass arrests to uh, to arrest all of them all at once? I mean, if you have state legislatures across the country passing the Defend the Guard Act, saying that um, you know constitutionally uh, the, the National Guard is is commanded by the states, not the federal government, and we are not going to let our 
our young men and women in the National Guard be sent off to fight in Afghanistan for a third decade without even a declaration of war? What are they going to do about that? If we start passing uh, things like uh, like the Tenth Amendment Center has proposed, the Fourth Amendment Protection Act, things to nullify the power of the federal government when there's no one person they can just take out. What are they going to do about it? And that's yeah, why I right. believe this is the strategy. Don't don't pin our hopes on one person going for the presidency. Pin our hopes on hundreds, thousands of, of liberty activists going for the state legislatures. Well, let me let yes, me sir. go let me go off of that real quick, just because I want to choose something else into here. You know, a third option we haven't really explored before, which is is it even worth and, and this ties in a, a lot of different strings we've talked about, decentralization uh being, you know, basically impacting the culture from the ground up. Is it even worth you know, thinking about the future, is it worth us trying to take over and alter the GOP, trying to redeem that image, trying to make the LP something that is viable, that is resonating within the culture? Or is it something, I mean, Matt Kibbe was just on our Monday show talking about how, uh, you know, collectivism, collaboration is something that is powerful. It's hard to argue with. Is it worth trying to build up a new party, a collaborative party that is decentralized, that is not a political entity so much as it is a cultural entity, and try to appeal to a younger generation that is living through lockdowns right now? They have seen their, you know, their rights taken away on such a basic and completely saturated level that they may be open to changing the way that we do things moving forward. Is that the way that we might want to look at things instead of trying to put our efforts into changing these establishment uh, types of establishment, well, uh, establishment well, I, types of uh, I, political parties. I, I would say that uh, the the problem is the rules of the game. So unless you're giving up on the idea completely of trying to win and hold political office to influence policy, uh, the the way the game is, is is set up is it's a plurality based system. Whoever gets the biggest share wins. And in a system like that, a third party just can't really. Uh, for the most part, can't can't really compete. Right, really but I, I guess I'm advocating not even to be a part. It, it essentially, I'm not advocating for not having a political party in the sense of being competitive because I think it's hard enough. Like we're saying, the the deck is so stacked against the LP even getting a real seat at the table that it's looking at it as decentralization and a grassroots movement wherein it might be memes, it might be pure messaging, it might be trying to reach people via social media and different me different yeah. ways of communicating that is not this top-down matter, but well, we're that, changing that, things fundamentally moving forward. I think that thing has already begun. Yeah. So it's like when we talk about the institutions crumbling, as I said before, like you'd really have to be out of your mind as a, as a parent to say, I'm now going to fund my student my child right. going to Princeton or Harvard. Like, I think most sensible people agree that. Agree that. Actually, one of the few things that always kept me from fully saying I was a libertarian was that I, for many years, on, up until really the last year, I think you could make a sensible argument that this, that the government had some role in public education. I, I didn't, I never believed it like at the Department of Education role that we should have this huge federal monopoly on it. But I think you could make some state version of it. I can't really make that argument anymore. And I think a lot mm -hmm. of people understand that now. COVID has accelerated things in such a crazy way that when I've been to, you know, protests here to open up restaurants and stuff, I'm meeting people that are not political. These people are just people that own restaurants and just want to send their kids to school. And suddenly, you know, I walk there and people are like, oh, that's Dave Rubin. I watch your show. And then they actually say words like liberty or freedom. These are not words. <laughs> that were ever in their lexicon before. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I'm saying that the system has pushed people so far 
The system pushed people to the point where they literally could not go to work. Then it will also tell you that boys don't have penises and girls don't have vaginas and the, and the rest of like the crazy nonsense that we're putting up with that, that just decent people who don't care about politics, which I think is most people are suddenly going, oh, actually the idea of freedom, of, of just being free, living freely has value. So that's why I think we're going to see so many crazy changes, which I think gets to your point not only about the way we we trade information and memes and and that tech is going to completely change it's why one of the reasons i never wanted to regulate facebook and twitter and, and google and everything is that you just calcify them and then they'll just stay around forever these things will crumble they i can't wait till they crumble and i i will gladly uh accelerate their crumbling as much as possible but but there has been an awakening and just remember we had a 74 year old guy running against a 78 year old guy and that's not even to talk about the i think what 106 year old Nancy Pelosi and you know 542 year old Diane Feinstein and the rest of them people roughly our age i think we're probably all close to gen xers like we're supposed to be in charge right now and we do have a new set of ideas but those guys are just hanging on for dear life at the end and, yeah. and they got to let go yeah, it's a really or, or interesting. We got to take it from them. It's it's a really yeah. interesting and important observation that um is really fascinating to me, and I'm not sure I completely understand it, but it is really interesting that the establishment, the the ruling elite, has not been able uh not been able to pass the baton onto the next generation. All of them are stuck in in these yep. older baby boomers and that they're they haven't been able with the i guess the exception of barack obama they really haven't been able in any meaningful way to pass it on to the next generation every time they try to push them they're like the eric swalwell type people who just have no appeal no appeal to the the generation that they're a part of and that, i think that yep. is a really um like a silver lining that that is a, a case for optimism so i i think that brian is is onto something. You want all of these different avenues and you want people spreading these ideas in as many ways as possible. And even just like an apolitical, you know, belief in liberty or something like that is great. And I'd support all of that. But we also have to deal with the reality of the culture that we live in. And it is a very top down system. And whether we even like it or not, that that's the way it is. Uh, the, most Americans um, are more likely to know you know, like if you were to ask the average American who their mayor is, there's probably a large percentage of them who don't even know, who don't even know who their mayor is. But almost all of them know that Joe Biden ran against Donald Trump. Uh, that's mm -hmm. just the way it is. You know, it's like that people are focused on the top of the political system. And the power of the Ron Paul campaigns was that he used that to spread a message. And I, my, my point is just that I think the most effective way to do that right now is through the Libertarian Party to get a really serious presidential candidate, to get really serious people at the top of there who can spread the the true essence of how great the Libertarian message is. Not this bullshit, not the like fiscally liberal or fiscally conservative, socially liberal, not pandering to woke nonsense, none of that. Like the real deal, hardcore, most beautiful uh, political philosophy in the history of humanity, which which springs from the enlightenment and and the the greatest, but you know, uh, uh, you know, inheritance that we've all been lucky enough to receive, which is some degree 
of respect for individual liberty and property rights and free markets and all the good stuff that allows us to not live the way people in you know barbaric third world countries live. That's so what, 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 we, what we're would fighting you, what for. Would you say, what would you say about a guy like DeSantis who you brought up before? Because I think he's doing almost as much of that as you possibly can within the system. Yeah, look, I give him a lot of credit. He has handled Florida very, very well. And, you know, it's kind of like this thing where, you know, you're like, you have to, you're almost forced to grade on a curve. You know, like the government went totalitarian and he's like, no, I won't. And you're like, well, that's better. That's better. You know, it's like someone like running against Stalin who's like, I'm not Stalin. And you're like, right. I like him. I like not Stalin. A but is lot. there something <laughs> is there something that he's doing that you that you don't approve of or that you think is too big government or something? Um, I don't know that know, much about the budgets of Florida. I tend the, to think they're pretty decent. To, to be honest, I just I don't know enough about DeSantis other than the lockdown stuff to really speak intelligently on it. You know, like if, if he was running for national audience uh, office, I'd, I'd probably learn more about him. I actually know that I think even like Cato wrote some friendly things about him. And I think he's pretty good on like Fed policy. And, and uh, he was pretty aggressive with the IRS discrimination stuff. So I'm not, I'm not you know, I've, I've got nothing bad to say about the guy. Not that there isn't something bad. I just I'm not he's super even personally sending uh, bombs to Yemen just to really exacerbate the situation. We just don't know about it yet. Right. Yeah, but that's, right, right. That's my point, though, about about that. There probably are people and, and I would put DeSantis at the top of the list, you know, doing the low tax stuff. He's fighting big tech within his within his own state. The covid stuff, he's actually he kept I mean, I was just there. He kept the state basically open. And I was at restaurants mm -hmm. with 90 year old women in Florida because they're all old. And if you wanted to wear a mask, you wore a mask. If you didn't, that that I think are probably accomplishing about 90% of what you want accomplished, a guy like him. I, and I think it's worth noting too, uh, you know, and I'm, and I'm one of those guys who, you know, like if Rand Paul decided he was running, I'm, I'm, I'm there for Rand. Uh, if, if he decides to run again, I don't think he's going to, but if he, but if we were, but, but, but looking at DeSantis, I mean, because of where we are right now coming off of the Trump movement, and because of the America, the America first kind of version of this anti-war message, which you know Trump didn't execute very well all the time, but but he he shifted opinion within the the Republican base to yeah, why are we in Afghanistan after twenty years? Why are we fighting all these wars? What is this doing for America? Um, someone like DeSantis, who's being backed by you know someone like Matt Gates, who's trying to you know carry that kind of anti-war America first message, could it, you know it. You know, I, I think it's very conceivable. DeSantis said, well, I guess he was in Congress. I would have to see what his record was like on foreign policy when he was there. But someone like DeSantis could could conceivably try to take that America first message forward and and continue with that 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 growing anti-war sentiment in the Republican Party, especially when Joe Biden's administration is 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 full of neocons. Yes, that's yeah. the key part. That's the key part. There's no reason to think that right now the Republicans are suddenly going to start being the party of war again. I get it that every couple of years we got to go to war because everybody's got to get paid. Like, I get that. But right now it's so obvious that that is what the Democrats are that I don't know DeSantis's record in Congress related to foreign policy either. But I'm guessing that a guy who has so much of the Trump support, who has so much of the, yeah, keep states open and and low tax support. Like, I don't think we're going to find some skeleton in his closet or suddenly he'd be like, I'm running for president. Guess what? We're going back to Iraq. Like, I just don't oh. sense that that would be there. Well, okay. Let, uh, this is uh, probably where I'm going to have to like really disagree with uh, both of you guys on this. And as I said in the beginning, look, I mean, Donald Trump is not what the deranged lunatics claim he is. He is not a, a Russian agent 
or literally Hitler or, you know, whatever else, you know, that they wanted to say about him. And Donald Trump was not some unique evil to the office uh, uh, of of the presidency. The, The thing that was so evil about Donald Trump was that he was so much the same as Barack Obama and George W. Bush. Uh, this idea that Eric, and may- maybe it's because you're a Republican and I'm a libertarian, that you kind of tiptoe around it and say like, well, maybe he wasn't perfect. It's like, yeah, I mean, maybe he oversaw the genocide of the people of Yemen. Well, no, even grading on a curve, man. No, even grading on a curve. He is a war criminal who deserves to be tried and buried under the prison just with, uh, right alongside Barack Obama and George W. Bush and John McCain and all the rest of them. What he did to the people of Yemen by propping up the Saudis through that war, he, he, the, the rate of civi- uh, civilian casualties went up. The rate of drone bombs went up. He did not end one war, which is what he promised the American people he was going to do. And so the idea, you're absolutely right that the neocons are in Biden's administration. Donald Trump made John Bolton the the national security advisor and Mike Pompeo, the secretary of state. This is not the the idea that he was just like, well, he didn't execute it perfectly. No, he continued the Bush Obama foreign policy to AT. The only reason why Donald Trump, I, I, I agree with you that I like that the talking point is that he didn't start another war. I like that he convinced a lot of right wingers to be skeptical of these wars, but let's get real. Donald Trump didn't run on not starting another war. Donald Trump ran on ending the wars and he ended none of them. And Donald Trump, the only reason he didn't start another war was because we're out of countries to bomb. They don't even know where to start the next war. He flirted with one in Venezuela. Uh, Okay, I guess I'll give him credit for not going through with it, even though he easily could have because he did declare some other guy was the president and did start sending all type of money and weapons into the resistance there. It didn't turn into a hot war because it turned out the movement he was supporting was a joke and completely collapsed. By the way, and I'm I'm not 100% certain this is true. I don't know if any of us are, but I kind of believe it that Mattis was telling the truth when Donald Trump said he wanted to assassinate Assad. And they basically convinced him out of it because they just weren't in position and ready to do yeah. it. So it's it's not as if Donald Trump is is was a disaster on foreign policy. Now, Dave, now I'm not here, you know, I'm not here to defend Donald Trump. I'm not here to say that he was great on foreign policy. I'm here to say that I think that all presidents have been terrible on foreign policy in my lifetime. But but I'm, what I'm here to say is that the rhetoric, perhaps it did not always match reality. Though I will say there were th- at least three occasions where like he was being incredibly pushed to go to war with Iran. And for some reason he stopped short of it. I think maybe those Rand Paul's influence. I don't know what happened, but at least there was that. Obviously there are all these other problems, but the, but the rhetoric and turning the base of the Republican party in a, in a, in a much more, I mean, it's like night and day. I mean, you remember you, we all remember that, that the era of we lived under in the, under the Bush administration when, when to even, to even question the premise of these wars was to be drummed out of the party to be canceled. And, and now we're at a point where it's Liz Cheney who's being canceled. Uh, I mean, this, this is, this is uh, certainly we are not at the end point of where we want to be, but we have come far. And so the question is, what is the next step? I'm not here to say that I don't want a second term of Donald Trump. I don't think that's the answer. But what I am here to say is that I think that we need to do everything we can to make sure that this anti-war sentiment continues in the GOP and helps define the next wave of what the GOP becomes. Okay. Can I ask you, Eric, if you, you know, 2020, we have to run it again, right? Let's just say in a hypothetical world, okay, it's the same race between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. 
But instead of Joe Jorgensen being the LP nominee, a 30 years younger Ron Paul is the Libertarian Party nominee. This is Ron Paul after the Ron Paul movement, you know, the 2008 and 2012 campaigns. And Ron Paul is going, even if they keep him out of the debates, fuck the debates, even if they keep him out of those, Ron Paul is going on Dave Rubin's show. He's going on Rogan. He's going on Crowder. He's going on all these huge shows. And he is spreading this pure libertarian anti-war, addressing monetary policy, addressing spending, addressing all the most important issues. Is that a better America or a worse America? Well, first of all, I'd say, uh, thankfully, I, you know, I'm registered to vote in Maine where there is ranked choice voting. So I could rank uh, my first <laughs> my first choice first without uh, splitting the vote. But yeah, certainly. Well, I'm not yeah. asking for you. Well, I'm asking for the country. <laughs> is it a better? Eric, give me an answer on this. So, that is a better America. And you know it. Yeah. I cert- uh, is it is it a better America if someone like Ron Paul instead of Joe Jorgensen was running and spreading the message? I'm saying, isn't that better yeah. for what we're all trying to accomplish here? Doesn't that help all of us? Wouldn't that be better for the liberty movement to have a hero like that? I th- certainly think it would be, but I would take it even even more if Ron Paul was running as a Republican where he could reach millions of more people and, and get people to take a look at him uh, like he did in 2008 and 2012, who never took a look at him when he was running LP in, in, in But, but the, pr- the, problem, the problem with that, though, is that, you know, even though Rand Paul is not Ron Paul, I, I like Rand Paul a lot, but, you know, when he was on stage, uh, not this last time around, you know, eight years ago, you know, he, it was fairly obvious that not only did they put him all the way at the end, but he's on stage with the wrong people. So every time he says something that's remotely liberty minded, it's like it's the, the conversation is so out of whack that it's like, wh- wh- what is this guy doing here with with the crazy hair? <laughs> so, Dave, I'll answer your question clearly, which is 100 percent. Of course, you're right. And of course, I would support that guy all the way along. And then then you'd have the Sophie's choice right when you got to the end which would be, okay, so because we know, unfortunately, I mean, this is just the reality of it. Let's say you had peak Ron Paul 1985 and he gets internet culture and he's cool and he's good looking and blah, 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 all the stuff and it's all the momentum is there. Unfortunately, we know probably whether it's because the system is rigged or whatever it is. Let's say, let's say it's he's pulling at 20% at that point, which would be unheard of, but let's say we get that far. Then there's the moment. There's the moment right before the election. So do you do what you think is right with this guy, hoping that maybe four years later you've you've built on that thing? And I think that's a legit argument. Or but then, of course, you deal. You have to acknowledge the empowering of this lunacy from the left. And I think that really is what this all whittles down to. I think you're right. I would support that guy. Be that guy. You know what I mean? Like, hey, go do it. Take over. You know what I mean? Like somebody's got to do it. So let's find that guy and he can come on my show, whoever he is and and all these other shows. And then let's push, push, push. And then but then there has to be a tr- like a serious, honest conversation at that last moment of, OK, do you now take that momentum, that 20 percent, whatever it is? And do you say we can really actually influence what's happening on the Republican side or do we just go for broke and potentially make things much worse, but have done what we feel is right? All right. It's so just, let, let me, I, I get what you're saying there. And let, let me just respond to that. Right. So, um, first off, I'm considering it. Second off, um, I, I will say this, that, uh, there, when you say, this is maybe where me and you disagree when you say that, cause I don't even care about who someone votes for at the end. I really don't like, that's not what it's about to me. It's about, like I said, 
all Thomas you. Paine did was write pamphlets. It's about introducing these ideas and changing people's mind and inspiring the next generation and trying to save the country through changing people's minds, right? But here's why it's not even a tough choice for me at the end of the day who I would vote for in that scenario is that I just don't view things the same way. And I think that there's a little bit of a contradiction between um, all of us recognizing that the president doesn't actually have this type of power and and then also saying, but now it's, do we really want to let Joe Biden and all these people in power? Look, all these people, the worst elements that we're all afraid of in a Joe Biden administration, they've been in power this whole time. The, I, this is what this is the part of me that's almost happy Trump's gone. This illusion from the Trump supporters that they were in power and this illusion from the left that they're the resistance was all just not based in reality. The the Donald Trump never uh, like let the culture didn't even shift back a tiny bit. It went further to the left under Donald Trump. He was the best uh, fundraising tool for the Southern Poverty Law Center and every left wing activist group out there. CNN what, in business. Yeah, he got, look, he was the best thing that ever happened to CNN. He was the best thing that ever happened to Antifa, to Black Lives Matter, to every like radical left wing group you can think of. Trump was basically just a great fundraiser for them. And I'm sitting here as somebody like, I don't care about Democrats or, or, or Republicans. I care about human liberty. Okay. And I'm sitting here while people are telling me like, well, we really got to make sure that Trump gets back in. So we have human liberty. And I'm like, I was locked in my house for the last year. <laughs> what are we talking about? What have I gained from this guy being in here? At least now that Joe Biden's in there, the, the right wing can be the resistance and 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 actually be the resistance instead of the the left being this fake resistance where you're resisting the president but you're in lockstep with the deep state academia the corporate press hollywood and every you know friend that you have and we Dave, can ride that rep- no i'm out <laughs> where, where are you where are you jersey you're in jersey okay close enough but but in Pretty that bad. regard even even though you're locked down i mean trump in that way, he did do, at least in my estimation, the right thing, which was mostly kick it to the states. And the irony, of course, was that the same people who were saying he's Hitler and he's authoritarian, when he decided to give the states power, they said, oh, he's not doing enough. Yeah. So, yeah, because yeah, those people every- are idiots. No, yeah, because those real- people are. All right. I think yeah, we, real we, all, problem we all know that Hitler's real crime was that he gave power he gave- to the local people rather than yes. seeking Look, for himself. Look, the... The, the like I'm I got called a Nazi sympathizer in uh in uh the New Republic the other day. I'm the Jewish grandson of a Holocaust survivor. Like all these people, they're just insane. I I don't even know what else to say about it. They're fun to dunk on, but like I I don't know. They're just really insane people. No, um, right. So the problem isn't that he was Hitler. Um, and the problem isn't that he left it to the states. The problem is that he also gave cover to the states by declaring a national emergency, by invoking the Defense Production Act. It's never what they're accusing him of doing. It's actually 180 degrees the opposite. It's not that he was too authoritarian. It's that Donald Trump had no idea how to wield power at all. He sat there and bitched about how the vote by mail was going to be fraudulent for fucking six months. And then it happened. And then he went, hey, that was unfair. And they're like, okay, what's your plan here? Like, Tell bitch about it a lot. I, I don't know. He had no, he had no plan. Look, Donald Trump, the idea that they call him a, a, an authoritarian dictator, he was framed for treason by his own <laughs> deep state and none of them went to jail over it. I mean, like if he was at least yeah. good at using his power and authority, he, I, I would have loved to see him really, uh, you know, rain down some punishments. I mean, all of these people like, uh, John Brennan should be in prison for the rest of his life. I mean, these guys, they they literally 
attempted a deep state coup against a democratically elected president. These people are criminals against the country. He didn't get one of them. He had no idea how to wield this authority. He's a great promoter. He's a great, you know, like marketer, but he had no idea how to get any of these policies through. And I guess I would, I would object a little bit to like what Eric said earlier, where if Donald Trump had just a little bit of Ron Paul in him, not that he's Ron Paul, but just a little bit, like if he had just read a few books and had a few understand, wasn't completely this instinctual narcissist who, you know, had some good instincts, but, but he, no, he could have done a lot. He could have done a ton. Someone tweeted the other day that, and I love this, that if Donald Trump, even at his CPAC speech, he could have just come out and said, you know, take off your mask, hug your family, live your life the way you want to live it. This would have been more powerful than him bitching about how the election was stolen. Donald Trump also could have said that when he was president and he didn't. He also could have held governors uh, accountable for violating every inch of the bill of rights. I mean, I'm sorry. Like if there's a, if there's a, uh, um, you know, a restaurant in Alabama who puts a whites only sign in, in his window, the federal government will come down and say, no, there is federal law that prevents you from doing that. And yet Cuomo can just repeal the bill of rights and the federal government's move is we'll leave it to the States or, you know, okay, we don't completely agree with it. I mean, that's like, I'm looking for a little more. Dave, let me ask you, what do you think, uh, what do you think the last four years would have looked like if, if, uh, alternate high, alternate timeline rand paul won and he became president he he defeated hillary clinton do you think things would have played out differently if if rand paul had won and defeated hillary clinton and i mean honestly like what i think is what i said on on the uh the the last show we did i think he would have been taken uh convertible ride through dallas <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree completely. I that's the way I mean that's why I wonder a lot a lot of the the way I'm glad he go. didn't win for that reason. Right. Yeah. I mean, if success comes to fruition for anybody within the movement, do we really think seeing what happened to Trump, seeing how all these things play out, that we're going to be able to get to that end goal? Which is again why I'm kind of falling back on the more grassroots, the more decentralized approach to try to change people's minds conceptually. And how many people do we know can we get into the FBI and the CIA? Can we start making that push? Can we just start getting people in the but intelligence see, Brian, community? But see, Brian, I'm with you. I just believe in using politics. Like, here's the thing. I'm kind of with Eric, too. I believe uh, doing all the shit on the local level you can to get as much freedom as you can. And I don't care what party you use. If you use the Libertarian Party or the Republican Party or somehow the Democratic Party, I, I don't know how that would work. But if, if you could, go ahead. I mean, I, I think that might be a, like a, a worthwhile goal. But what I'm really concerned about is changing people's minds and opening more people up to these ideas and like really important ideas that never get inserted into the conversation unless we have a Ron Paul figure like monetary policy, which nobody else is ever going to talk about or care about unless there's some compelling person up there explaining, which by the way, is this whole thing. Like it is so interconnected to why the woke takeover happened, why the left completely uh, runs the, the culture, why like all of this stuff is all because or in large part because, you know, to put the the wars on the credit card that George W. Bush wanted the last time the right wing asserted themselves and they did it to to slaughter people in third world countries, they, we had to lower interest rates down to like the Fed fund rate, like to 1%. And then everyone started buying houses because it was such a good deal at such low interest rates. And then we had a crash in housing. And then what happens? There's the rise of the radical communist socialist left, because when the rich people get all the money after the big crash, what do the idiot leftists say? Communism. That's the, that's the solution here. And then you had a corporate plot 
to throw them off the scent of the economic issues. And that is wokeism. And that's what's overtaken this whole thing right here. Occupy Wall Street scared the hell out of the establishment. Then that's why you see all those charts where like, you know, the mentions of racism after 2010 just shoot up. All of a sudden, it's all the New York Times wants to talk about. All uh, you know, JP Morgan's like, we'll send all of our white executives to diversity training as long as no one's outside protesting. And that this is what's like destroyed the country is all of this stuff. Uh, who, who the hell is going to talk about monetary policy? At CPAC? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, no, you make it. No, you make a great point. And actually, you know, it's funny. I did an episode talking about the way I thought messaging should be handled for liberty and 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 you know, kind of moving the ball forward. And I had said that the end the Fed conceptually is a losing topic for us to talk about. Now, this was before we had stimulus upon stimulus and, and all these bailouts and COVID and, and interest rates and negative interest rates being threatened. So there is a definitely a pertinent time now to jump on that topic right. and educate the populace as to how important that yeah. monetary policy yeah. is. So I know Eric, Eric agrees with me oh, on yeah. that. Like, I'm not, yeah. I know that's not a, a debate. Not, well, and I know we're getting long in the tooth here. So we'll, we'll wrap it up soon, too. I know we're all busy people as well. So go ahead, Eric, and then uh, Dave, if you want to weigh in as well. Yeah, no, I, I just want to say, um, uh, if we're coming to the end here, I just want to say, well, th first of all, thank you to you all. Thank you, everyone watching. Uh, it's great to talk with both the Daves and Brian. Um, you know, I think the ultimate thing I, I you know, I, I just want to emphasize here is, you know, building on what, what, what Dave Smith has said. Yeah. You know, the right is the resistance now. I mean, we all are, the, we've always been the resistance. There was this weird four year period where the left figured, uh, thought they were the resistance, but really they controlled every major institution in society. But, but right now, you know, we, we need to ride this resistance wave into positions of political power to fight back because we are coming to a breaking point in American history. There are these moments in American history where you, you arrive at a breaking point where suddenly things start to break down and there are, there are, these big moments of change and what that change looks like. That's a chapter of history that hasn't quite been written yet. Does the pendulum swing more towards tyranny or does it swing back more towards liberty? And really, I think what, what happens there depends on, on all of us. It depends on the, the activism we do getting the message out there like Dave advocates for, but it also depends on getting our people our those who, who have a principled belief and understanding in liberty into positions of decision-making power as much as possible over, over these policies. And the Republican Party is the most effective vehicle that we have available to do that. As we've elected people to the state legislatures across the country, we have 179 Ron Paul-style liberty legislators that have just been elected in the last few cycles across 37 states. As this critical mass continues to build and we can continue you know, riding this, this, uh, this anti-Biden wave that's coming, we can... We can uh, uh, we can continue growing that. We can start doing interesting things like nullifying federal power, passing the Defend the Guard Act. And while they could take out one person, while they could take out a Rand Paul, you know, if he were ever president, they can't take out- Or an out Eric Brakey, don't sell yourself short, buddy. Well, I, you know, I, I don't want to take that. Uh, I don't want to be in that car in Texas when that- uh, <laughs> You'd be a libertarian folk hero. <laughs> I, guess, I, guess if, I guess if our day is going to come one day, there are worse ways to go. Um <laughs> But uh, but anyway, um, this is a, this is a this is a strategy that we can use to to uh, to to take to take these positions of power. And I let me just end on one thing. Um, there's a reason why, and I said this in my last debate with Dave. Uh, there's a reason why Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio Cortez aren't trying to infiltrate the Green Party or the 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 Peace and Justice Party. They're going after the Democrat Party because we live in a two-party system 
where these, if you want to have any opportunity to, to influence the, uh, the levers of power or to pick up that ring of power, which of course we want to take that ring of power and march it all the way to, to Mount doom and throw it in there and be done with it. But if you want to have that opportunity, you got to be able to win. And right now there's really only two paths to do that under the way that the, the, the game is built. It's through the Republican Party or the Democrat Party. And the Republican Party is a lot more amenable to uh, to to us and our principles and our views uh, than anything else that can actually win. Uh, Dave Smith, and then I'll give Dave Rubin the final countdown. <laughs> okay. So I would just say, um, as I, I pointed out in our last debate, the reason that AOC and Bernie Sanders are uh, going into the Democratic Party and not uh, starting their own thing is because they're not actually what they claim to be. They're tools of the establishment. Uh, they're not actually principled leftists at all. Uh, this is Bernie Sanders and AOC will vote to support uh, the the military budget, even though they'll talk a big game about it. They'll, they'll vote for all the corporate welfare, even though that's supposed to be everything they're against. So I don't think it's a, a true comparison. And I also don't think that if you are in government and you're Bernie Sanders or AOC, they're basically just going with the wind and trying to argue to go one step further. Like it's one thing to go into an organization and argue, hey, we should have a little bit more power. It's a very different thing to go into an organization and argue that we should tear all of our own power away, give up our own power voluntarily. So I just don't think it's a it's a fair comparison. Um, I would say this. There were a lot of libertarians, uh, even the really hardcore, what are known as right-wing libertarians, um, like, you know, Lou Rockwell and Ron Paul and Hans Hermann Hoppe and all these type of guys who were much more sympathetic to the left than the right during the George W. Bush years, because George W. Bush was, look, this was a, the, the like I said, the last time the right wing had, had a seat at the table where it was really, uh, you know, who was getting canceled post 9-11? It wasn't, it was anyone who, who criticized the troops, the Dixie chicks and the like, and they weren't getting canceled because their name were Dixie chicks. And that was offensive. You know, if someone had inserted the idea that Mr. Potato Head is problematic, they would have been laughed out of the country in 2004. You know, like nobody was thinking this way. Okay. And so it was easy back then to say, well, you know, the nation magazine has these articles against the war in Iraq. And they have these articles against the Patriot Act and the Department of Homeland Security and the TSA. And it was easy for a libertarian to be like, hey, we got to ride this energy because look, man, these people are really against the same thing that we're against. And I think that's a lot of what's happening right now to a lot of us liberty minded people. Yeah, it's like th this left wing thing is so totalitarian. I mean, it's so incredibly totalitarian. They want to control how you think. You can't even say, I don't think you can change your gender like that. You you're not even allowed to express that or you could have your career ruined. And I'm not even talking about people like us in the public eye. I'm saying like some regular lady can have her career ruined if she just goes like, I don't think someone with a penis is, is a woman. Like that's, you're not even allowed to make the most common sense statement. It's a, and so anyone against that, like, of course we got to ride that energy, but I'm just making the point that the last time we rode that energy, we got this. So I'm not so sure that we just want to ride energies here. I think what we need to do is actually try to convince more people that human liberty is actually what we should stand for and not just stand against this flavor of tyranny. And that we want to stand against all tyrannies. And the only guy I ever know who did it was, was Ron Paul. 
He's like the only guy in my lifetime who ever changed a whole lot of people's minds and made them think about things radically different. Now, I should, in the strict libertarian political sense, truthfully speaking, I think probably Jordan Peterson has done more than anybody else to make people actually think about what freedom really means, because he mm -hmm. talks about responsibility, which is the, the double-edged sword of rights, you know, like you have your rights and then you have to take your responsibility. And so he's inserted that in, into the culture, right? But my, my point is that, you know, we're not going to take this thing over by force. Um, well, I, I think it's a, a noble strategy, but a long game and a really re like a hundred year battle at minimum to take it over by the state and local level until we have control of the federal government, which we still may not win, but never underestimate the power of ideas. The power of ideas are the reason why we live like this and are talking to each other through time and space across this country <laughs> instead of living in hunter-gatherer tribes. That, that is literally because of the power of ideas, and I think we need to spread those ideas in the most effective way possible. And there's a party with our name that actually has a platform that, that claims to stand for what we stand for, and we could all take it over if we wanted to and make it something really important. So that's... I'll rest my case on that. Thanks to everybody uh, for being here. And I'm, I'm interested to hear what Dave's got to say. Dave Rubin, Dave, what are your thoughts? Well, Dave, will you vote for me? Well, yeah, I'll vote for you. Sure, you got my vote, man. Well, first off, let me just say, Smith, it's clear that you should be doing it. Everything that you just said, go live up to it. You know what? Do the Jordan Peterson thing. I've got the book on my desk. His book came, the book came out today. I did tour with the guy for a year and a half. And I think you brought up a really interesting point there, which is that you know, we all know this sort of dichotomy of, okay, we don't want to fix the world with politics. And then yet we get stuck talking about politics all the time. But you're right. What I saw Jordan do for a year and a half in 20 countries, 120 something stops with this guy was show people that individual responsibility and, and taking care of your life and that the individual is the cornerstone of Western civilization. And the thing it is, it is the building block that allows all of the rest of it to flourish. Um, he never called himself a libertarian. He didn't, you know, he always talked about the constant battle sort of, he would always do this with his hands, the battle between liberalism and conservatism. And what I saw this guy do was through the power of ideas, get people to be better. So they didn't all magically become card carrying members of the libertarian party overnight, but you know what they did? They started dressing better and they got off drugs and they mended relationships with their parents and they got better jobs and a whole bunch of other stuff. And I say this as someone that I'm better for having done that year and a half of my life. So I think there's a lot of ways to win this battle. Yeah, take over the party. Take over the freaking party. Take it, run with it, build it. I'll support you. You come on my show anytime. And then at the same time, work with the Republicans like Ron DeSantis, who are probably doing 90% of the stuff while within the system. And by the way, that, that message of that you work from outside the system on the idea front, and then you work from inside the system at the granular level, that's what I would say about taking over everything, not just the political system, but how do we take back big tech? Is it just that you regulate it? Well, I know none of us want that, right? But is it just competition? Well, if they can blow up your servers, it's probably not just competition either. So every, every system that is failing us right now, whether it's the political system, the tech system, the educational system, like all of those things, they all can be fixed because the power of ideas has now lent itself to extraordinary technology that that will save us at the same time. But you got to run with it and you got to run with fixing some of the stuff on the inside and, and keep pushing ideas. I'll just say one other thing, which is, you know, I, I sort of pushed the word classical liberal or the phrase classical liberal back into the American lexicon, right? It was sort of this forgotten thing. 
And I kept saying, well, the left isn't liberal anymore. And then I had to make this really strong distinction between leftism and liberalism. But now when people come up to me on the streets and they'll say something about being a classical liberal and, and then we'll always get into the debate, okay, how that, how's that different than libertarian, blah, blah, blah. The point is you can do something with ideas. You really, really can. So there, there is someone watching this right now that one of the four of us said something that sparked something in them and they're going to say it something that's going to spark someone in something else. And now that we live in this time where we're all freaking doing this, probably from different states through these pipes, like the way you can change the world, the speed at which you can do it now is so extraordinary. We can fix things a lot quicker uh, than we ever could have in the past. So I'm, I'm hopeful in that regard. And uh, we'll keep having these conversations and see what we can do. But, uh, you know, as far as the, you know, they'll take them in the uh, convertible and take them out. You know, you, uh, you can kill a man, but not an idea. I'm just a little too young for that. You know what I mean? I'm just like, I'm not, I'm just not quite at that phase yet. Yeah. I, 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 right, well, gentlemen, that. guys, this has been fantastic. Thank you all for coming. Corp Dave Smith, part of the problem. Eric Brakey, uh, influencer, policy advisor with Young Americans for Liberty and former uh, state senator from Maine. And of course, Dave Rubin of the Rubin Report. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. This has been uh, fantastic. People in the comments were saying the best episode of this show ever, mostly because I did not say much. Just here to uh, poke and prod the facility. Well, thank uh, you, Brian. Facilitate the conversation. My pleasure, yeah, guys. Thanks, so, guys. This was fun. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, Hopefully we can do it again soon. And uh, yeah, have a great evening, everybody. So there you go. Hopefully my moderation wasn't too awful for you guys. It is tricky. Man, tricky. Trying not to jump in there. But before we leave you, I want to tell you about a guy that I am very fond of, Tyler Colford, a.k.a. Crypto Man. He has an awesome song called Hashtag Free Ross, all about Ross Ulbricht, all the proceeds from this song. I'm going to play you a quick snippet of before I take out. But all of those proceeds go to Free Ross, for the Free Ross the project, to helping him get out of jail for basically a victimless crime of having the, the audacity to run a server to allow people to interchange goods without government oversight and for things they happen to frown upon. So let's give him three life sentences. Absolute madness. And also, you're going to be able to hear him on another track that he is actually uh, collaborating on called First World Problems. It is a track from Intrinsic, and that's going to be coming out very soon. I'll keep you posted on that, guys. All right, here's a little clip from Free Ross, and then I'll take you out full. Ross Albrecht is serving two consecutive life sentences plus 40 years for creating a means for individuals to anonymously make online exchanges using Bitcoin. His actions did not create victims. For nothing more than creating a marketplace, the government locked him up and threw away the keys. Let's get Ross pardoned and get victimless crimes off of the books. Hashtag free Ross. Free Ross. Free Ross. Free Ross. Smell crazy. 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 These are perilous times when they ruin your lives over victimless crimes And they sever your ties from your business loved ones and family wide New slave labor, they barely pay ya Don't care about work ethic or major In the prison system, the training criminals Doesn't matter, public or private Love it, man. That song kicks. Hashtag free Ross, guys. Check it out. Listen to it. Support it. From me, Brian McWilliams. From my guests, Dave Rubin from The Rubin Report. Dave Smith, a part of The Problem. And the always great Eric Brakey. This has been Electric Liberty Land, reminding you to always stay plugged in to liberty.